Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of Jesus. I guess I never thought of myself as a circuit riding preacher before. That was sort of intriguing. I, uh, I'm glad for a few things, though. I'm glad that uh, um, as, we, as we have our circuit riding preachers going from place to place, that uh, my congregation at home is not going without food because I'm down here. And um, hopefully yours won't be going without food because Josh is up there. And uh, I also didn't have to ride my horse to get here this morning, and that was helpful as well. So um, anyway, uh, greetings to you from Mount Hermon Congregation and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 63. Psalm 63. I was thinking too that uh, another thing I'm glad about is that if you didn't have a preacher here, I don't think you'd go hungry because you've got men that uh, can, can share from the Word of God and uh, see to it that, that people get fed. That wasn't always the case, and it's not always the case everywhere, but uh, I'm glad it's true here, and I think it's true at Mount Hermon. I don't think they would go hungry if we didn't show up for a week or two, so that's, uh, that's a good thing. All right, well, this is uh, Psalm 63. It's the Psalm of David. It says that it's, uh, he wrote it when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Um, I've never been in the wilderness of Judah. Of, uh, Judah, but uh, my understanding of a wilderness is it's not necessarily a walk in the park. And I suspect that perhaps David was in the wilderness more ways than one when he wrote this psalm. Don't know. Um, but sometimes we might not be in a physical wilderness, but our lives can be a wilderness and where things are just not, let's just say it this way, they're not a walk in the park. <clears throat> things don't always go well. We run into difficulties and problems. And um, you know, it's at those times of our, in our life of, in our experience that we, God I think sometimes gets through to us and, uh, and we, understand in our hearts that what we're really thirsty for is not the stuff we thought we were thirsty for. That our true thirst is a thirst for God. I was blessed with the devotional this morning and he talked about salt. And I understand that that uh, when you want a, a, a um, a horse to drink, you give them salt. It makes them thirsty. And uh, we are to be the salt for the world. But have you ever noticed that there are times in your life when you are not thirsty? And if you have not drunk, and if you are not receiving the water of life, what do you have to make other people thirsty? Because you see, it's in our 
drinking that others are made thirsty. Our, our, our fullness of life, the, the water coming from us, from the Spirit of God, is, is both the water and the salt. I guess it's just two ways to say the same thing. God wants us to make others thirsty. But we can't give others what we do not get thirsty for ourselves, what we do not drink. I would like to talk this morning about being thirsty for God. Being thirsty for God. Let's begin by reading Psalm 63. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches because thou hast been my help. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. David's first statement was, O God, thou art my God. David made a choice. You know, the Christian life is a choice. It's not something we're born into. It's not something that just happens. It's something we choose. Do I want God to be my God or not? David says, yes, I do. I want God to be my God. He says, my soul thirsts, thirsts, thirsts for thee. My flesh longs. Uh, no, before that, he says, early will I seek thee. That's what I was looking for. Couldn't find it. Early will I seek thee. The, the word um, there is one that means to seek early, means to dawn. Uh, it gives the idea of, of earnestness, of a painstaking search to, to look early, um, to get up and look, and to seek diligently. He says, I will seek early. Is looking for God something that you do? Or is that something that you just assume that God will catch up with you and he's ready to have you? Who's looking for who? Yes, God is looking for us. But... God is wanting us to look for him also. 
God doesn't usually just come blasting into the scene of our life and uh, some big spectacular display of splendor. Usually he, he brings things into our life to, to cause us to look for him because he's been there all the time. David says his soul is thirsty for God. Do you know what it feels like to be thirsty? You've been out where it's hot. We haven't felt that lately, um, at least not the last few days. Uh, but when you're out where it's hot and, and, you're, and you've been working hard and you've been sweating and you're so thirsty. And he says, my soul, my, my heart, my, my mind, my will, it's, it's thirsty for God. But then he goes farther and he says, my flesh longs for you. Now, if you think with me, what is holy about your flesh? You see, the Bible talks about flesh in a very negative way. The flesh is what always wants to go its own way. And I, I ponder this, I puzzle over this. I can only conclude that if, if David's flesh is longing for God, it must be really bad. I mean, we're talking about not only his spirit, not only his soul, but his whole flesh, that part that generally is moving away from God and trying to do its own thing and constantly taking us in the, way, in the wrong way. And David's saying, life is so tough. My whole flesh is longing for you. Or else, maybe David knew something we don't know, or I don't know. I'm not sure what all's in that. But he says it's like being in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. You know, when we get thirsty, we have the option of going to the faucet. Or if it's really bad, we can pull into the store and buy a bottle of water. When you're in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water, that's serious business. What is David longing for? Verse 2, to see your power and your glory as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. David is thinking back to his early experience with God. He's, he's thinking about the time he met God. He remembers the power and the glory of God that he experienced. And, and there's uh, various translations on here about seeing him in the sanctuary. But um, I guess as I read it in context, I believe he's, he's saying, I'm longing to experience God like I experienced him earlier. To experience his loving kindness. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. And most of us hang pretty tight to life, don't we? Life is pretty important. But it says, God, your loving kindness is, is better than life. What is it like to know the love of God? What is it like to know the love of God? 
Well, I'm not sure I'm going to tell you that this morning. But what, I, what I'd like to point out to you is that, is that Ephesians 3.19 says that if we know the love of God, Christ, which passes knowledge, well, he's actually praying it. It's in a different tense. He says he's praying for them that they would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, so that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. If, if you want your life to be filled with the fullness of God, then you need to know the love of Christ. We need to understand how much he loves us. How can we do that? Do you know what it's like? Do you thirst to know? Is it something you want to feel up close and personal? Is it something that you have felt and you haven't felt for a long time and you wonder, where is it at? That's called being thirsty. That's what God wants to have in our lives. He wants us to be thirsty. And you know, sometimes we're thirsty and we don't know it. And so we try to fill that thirst with all kinds of stuff. We might do it with getting, being busy, a, a new, new occupation, or a, um, you know, we might try to find it in someone, and it doesn't work. We always find some, it coming short. It's because you can't drink salt water when you're thirsty and have your thirst quenched. It just makes you more thirsty. In the same way, the things in our life that we, we use to, to try to satisfy our thirst often don't work because it's not what we're really thirsty for. And also, can we truly know God's love? Can we know God's love without truly loving God? Is it possible? I'd like you to turn with me for a little bit to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2. Starting in verse 1, and to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, and I understand this may be speaking of the elder or the, the bishop or, or the church leader or something, I'm not sure, but uh, that's what the thought is. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, and that is, that's Jesus Christ. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and that thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake have labored, and hast not fainted. Now how can you beat a reputation like that? Don't you think that's pretty good? Sounds pretty good to me. 
He knows their works, their labor, their patience. Don't we run out of patience and doing what's right? But they had patience. They couldn't stand what was evil. They found out the truth. They stuck it out when things were tough. They didn't give up. How can you beat a life like that? But he goes on to say, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except they repent. And so they had this whole list of words, and yet God was saying, there's something wrong. You don't love me like you used to. Something is missing. It's something you used to have. It's something that you, I used to feel from you. It's not there. Where is it? You need to repent. You need to do something about it. And so this morning I'd like to think a little bit about what is the first love? What is it like? What is the later love? Now, and so I would like to think of it using the, the passage in Psalm 63 um, and, and what David is talking about his longing for God and, and what he's doing about it. And I would like to think of it in the respect of, of you, those of you who were one time um, dating or young married, and now perhaps you are um, in the farther on in your, in your uh, married life. Um, and I'd like to look at, at, at what that was like because I'd like you to, to somehow get a hold of those concepts in a way that you can get a hold of it. And if that's not you, um, that's okay because you can still get a hold of it, I believe, uh, in other ways. I'll, I'll try to make it so it's plain to everyone. But if we can grab it a couple different ways, sometimes it, it talks our language in a way that we can get a hold of it. Now, if you think about what it was like when you were first married or when you were dating, those of you who can identify with that, and then you've gone on and you've been married a number of years, maybe two or five or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or however far up we can go here. Um, probably not quite that far. But then the, uh, what is later? I would like to think first, what is later love like? It's, it's teamwork, isn't it? You know, it's teamwork. Is teamwork good? We function together. Is that good? Yeah, that's good. Um, is it busy? Yeah, very busy. Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. There's often a focus on responsibilities. You know, we got a lot to do. There's stuff we're responsible for. There's family, there's, there's church, there's, well, you name it. It's, it's there. And uh, is that okay? Yes. Yes, it's necessary, isn't it? Um, do you get very tired? Yeah, that happens too. And uh, is that normal? Yes, it's normal. But 
what about the first love? And, and you know, some of those things were there as well. And yet there's something a little special about the first love. Um, someone mentioned to me lately, I, I wish my husband would open the door for me sometimes like he used to. Um, it wasn't that, well, why? Why did she say that? I think she, she wanted to feel like she was special, like she was one time, and she, maybe she wasn't quite sure. So I'd like to, look, like to go back to, um, to Psalm 63. I'd like to look at the first love through the eyes of David. And I'd like to, uh, like to apply it to life. Verse 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. That is, David was saying he's going to tell how much he's impressed with God. I guess he's going to tell God. Maybe he's going to tell other people. Did you, do you remember telling your, your spouse how special he or she was? Do you remember that? Do you remember thinking it? Do you remember, um, do you remember that wow feeling? Do you still tell them that? Do you still feel that way? And what about God? Do you feel that way with God? Is God special to you? Are you impressed with God? Have you considered, have you considered his power? Have you considered the things that he does for you in your life? Are you wowed with God? Verse 4, thus will I bless thee while I live. Thus will I bless thee. And the word bless literally means to adore. Do you remember that feeling of adoration? The pleasure of closeness. Do you remember your heart beating a little faster? Do you ever feel that way with God? When you get close to God and your heart beats a little faster? Does his presence make your spine tingle? Do you adore him? You know, there's something that it takes to come to that place. One of those things is time. I remember my wife, which was my girlfriend then, lived and uh, was teaching school in, uh, in Georgia. And at that point with the speed limits as it was, it was like nine or 10 hours to get down there. And um, I was working in Mountain View and, and uh, couldn't hardly get off. And one time it was three months between one time I went down and the next. And I said, never again. 
we didn't have the benefit that some of y'all have had of growing up together and knowing each other well. And um, we were just getting started in our relationship. And I decided that if we couldn't get together more than every three months, it wasn't worth it. Why? Because you couldn't build when you're just never together. And you know, you and God, and me and God can't build anything either if we just rarely get together and rarely spend that close time. We'll never get to a place of adoring God that way. David valued God. He said, I will lift up my hands in your name. And I'm not sure what all that is, but one thought that I read was, was that it was, it was sort of a lifting up of hands toward the temple, toward the place where he would meet with God. Do you remember back, do you remember how much you longed to be where she was or he was? Do you remember, you know, maybe they didn't, maybe yours just lived a couple miles down the road, but even so, a couple miles is a long way when you're not together, isn't it? Do you remember how you looked forward to that time of being together and how the time between dates was so long. It's okay, okay, so now you're married, you, you caught each other. And my question is, do you long to be together? Are you in a hurry to get home from work? Or do you stay away as long as you can? And you're a Christian, right? And you have God, you've caught him now, or he's caught you. And so, it's no big deal, right? Or is it? Do you long to be together with God? To have time to spend just you and him by yourself? To be together so you can listen to his heart and you can tell him your heart. Sometimes God feels far away. Sometimes it's business. Sometimes it's responsibility. Sometimes we're just so tired. And God doesn't seem all that close. Jesus reminds us in Luke 21, 34, Take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life so that that day come upon you unawares. And note that Jesus said overcharged. Overcharged. There's such a thing, there are responsibilities that we have. There's no way we can get rid of them. In fact, we would be not taking our responsibilities properly if we didn't exercise them. And yet... There's a time when, when, when our focus can be so much on the stuff, on the, on the responsibilities that we don't, that the cares of this life bog us down and keep us from being in the very presence of God. You know, what would happen if you went on a trip and um, you were just really in a hurry to get there? 
and you saw your gas gauge was going down to empty, and you said, oh, well, I'm in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. I got to keep going. What would eventually happen? You'd eventually run out of gas. That's one thing when you're in a car, but when you're in an airplane, that's another story. You really don't want to run out of gas when you're in an airplane. I don't care if you've trained for it or not. It's just not something I want to go through if I can help it. And you know, in our, in our Christian life, it's the same way. If we run out of fuel in our Christian life, how are we going to fly? We're not. Verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My soul shall be satisfied. Do you remember the moment when having him or her was the thing of the most greatest importance in life? And, and you said to yourself, I don't care if I have to live in a hut. I don't care if I have an old car. I don't care. I'll live anywhere. Money is a non-issue. There's only one thing that's important is I want him or I want her. Do you remember that? Do you still feel that way? You see, usually we say, yeah, but I... Do you feel that way about God? What if the only thing you had was God? Or what if you had to make the choice between this and God? Having life easy or having God? There's a lot of people in this world that have to make that choice. You and I haven't had to make it quite that way. But some people do. And sometimes God allows us to go into the wilderness to where the stuff that was important to us is, is taken away. Or somebody takes it and doesn't bring it back. And he asks us a question. Do you love me more than these? What's really important in your life? Are you satisfied with me? Am I enough? My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Remember those nice words, those compliments? The word praise there is the word halal. You ever heard of halal singers? Um, means to sing praise or sing to. How hard was it to keep from telling others how wonderful that person was? And 
I mean, there was the traits that they had. There was the characteristics. There was the beauty. And then there was some things that were almost too sacred to tell that just, just sort of kept in here. Is it still there? Have you looked upon the beauty of God? Have you seen his heart? Have you listened to him long enough to know how much he loves you? And what is it about God that impresses you? Are you impressed with God? Have you noticed? Do you talk about him? Verse 6, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Now right here is the secret. Right here is the secret. If you're looking back at your married life and saying, you know, I wish it was like it used to be, but it's not. Right here is the secret. If you're thinking, boy, I wish it was that way with me and God, but it's not. It's, it's just, it's dry. Right here's the secret. He says, when I remember, when I remember, do you remember those times between your dates when your mind would wander back to the last time you were together? How easy was it for you to keep your mind on what you were doing? Or are you just a little bit like that? Come on, be truthful. You were, weren't you? That's just the way it was. Your, your mind kept going to something else and you couldn't keep it on what you were doing all the time. There was a reason for that. You were remembering. It takes... You see, it's easy to remember when something is new and fresh and when you really long for something. Sometimes when you, when you get wrapped up in all the stuff of life bring, that throws on you, you just have a hard time to go back and remember, don't you? Isn't it tough sometimes to remember, to think back to the last times you had together? I mean, after all, they're just always around and they're just part of the... You know, have you ever gone out west? How many of y'all have gone out west? What did you think of the mountains? Did you find yourself after every curve that you went around, wow, wow, wow. Did you do that? Well, what happens after you've been out there a long time? Just normal, right? But you see, people do the same thing when they come where I live. And they think, Oh, wow, look at those mountains. You know what I do? I go to work. I have to stop and say, John, look at those mountains. Why? It's just so normal. Meditate. Don't just remember, meditate. Think about it. 
Let it go over and over and over and over in your mind. I promise you, if you have a spouse and it's getting dry, if you will think about those good things about them and the good times you had and you will just go over it and over it and over it, something's going to happen. What do you think happens when you think about God like that? When you start thinking about God, when you start pondering God, when you start remembering the things that he did for you that you never wrote down and you never, do you do that? I do that. Things happen and somebody, if somebody remind me, oh yeah, I remember. What would happen if we wrote them down? And I'm talking to myself. I don't do well with keeping, if I wrote things down, I'd probably lose it. Maybe I have to put it in my calendar so it pops up. Go read notes from so-and-so. Um, sometimes we have to do those things. What about the answered prayer? What about the inspiration that he gave you from the word? And you opened it up and you said, wow. You know, it goes through me every time I read the, the, the passage about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, and they, they said... And Jesus was there talking to them and telling them how all this stuff fit together. And they said something. Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us? Does your heart ever burn when, when new things come to you? Or is your heart so dead to the things of God that it's not even special? It's sort of like me when I look at the mountains and say, yeah. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Remember and meditate. Rejoice in his presence and his protection. Verse 7, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Do you feel safe? Did you feel safe with your spouse, with your girlfriend or boyfriend, or especially you ladies? Did you feel safe with him? Did he make you feel safe when you were together? And guys, did you feel just a little bit of <clears throat> here? when you were close by and you could protect her. You felt like, I am, I've got the world by the tail, right? Now what do you felt? Do you still, are you still taking the time to get together emotionally? Also, are you still giving that protection? Are you making her feel protected? Ladies, do you feel protected in his presence? Do you love to be close to him? And what about you and God? Do you rejoice? Do you, are you, does it give you tremendous pleasure to know that God is watching over you? To know that he's watching everything that happens to you. He doesn't let one thing happen to you that that is uh, that he hasn't 
decided was for your good. He's watching every bit. See, I'm just a little queasy yet going up in a plane. And, and the other day I persuaded Wendell that we ought to fly anyway, um, or he ought to fly and take me along. I'll go with him. Now, he was a little hesitant, but I mean, he wasn't afraid to do it. He just didn't really enjoy that kind of flying too much. And, and, and uh, you know, I was really glad to come down. It was pretty, it was interesting up there. You try to take a picture and, you know, it was, it was one of those days. Those are the times that I need to, to, to remind myself, you know, God is watching, he's watching this whole thing. I don't have to just trust Wendell to get me down. I can trust God to get me down. You know, that, that, that gives you a certain amount of security. Even though I trust him pretty far, but um, it's, uh, it's, always, it's always good to know you have God watching out for you too. Because man is fallible, but God is not. Do you rejoice in his presence and his protection? Verse 8, my soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. My soul followeth hard. Do you remember that when they were in the room, your eyes kept following? Do you remember that? You just, you just couldn't help it. You know, you just, your eyes just, oh, um, well, you got can't look too much. Um, do you remember that? Your eyes just, you couldn't keep your eyes off of somebody. David says, I'm not taking chances with my relationship with God. I'm following hard after you. I'm not letting you go. I'm not going to just assume that you're not going to let me go. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to follow hard after you. But you see, after, after our love gets old, we, we tend to just assume that they're going to be there, don't we? Isn't that right? They've always been, haven't they? They're just like the sun coming up. They're just always there every day. You can count on it. Well, that's good. But we don't want to stop with that. How is, but you see, where our eyes go reflects where our heart is, doesn't it? If we have those longing eyes for our spouse, if we have that longing those longing eyes for God. It reflects what's in our heart. But you see, our heart responds to our choices. Our choices respond to our heart. It's like when you're riding a bicycle. You push this side, and when you push this side, it brings your pedal back, right? And you push this side, it brings the other pedal back. They don't work independent of each other. They work together. And the same way when our heart is after God, our mind and our choices are after God. And when we choose to go after God, it brings our heart along.
Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And he gives us this warning, for what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? There was an article that I read on, uh, online and someone uh, about marriage, about a number of things you should do in a marriage, but what struck me was a comment that someone made later down the line, and she says, one of the deepest desires of women is to be loved, sought after, and known. I believe this is a good thing. Though sometimes it might even seem wonderful to be worshipped, in quotes, by a man, this is not our place because we cannot provide all God can provide. We can be in partnership with him, though, but men need what God provides them first before they can offer their strength in a lasting manner. And I thought that was significant. You know... Ladies need to be loved and sought after. Especially your spouse, guys. Your spouse needs to be loved and sought after. She needs to be protected. But you can never give it to her. You can never give her what she really needs unless first you have it right with God. You need what God can give you first before you can have anything to offer to your wife. And for all of us, we need what, we, we need what God has to offer us if we are going to offer anything to the world around us. We can't do it. We have nothing to offer unless we're plugged into the source. Jesus said... If, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I prune my trees, try to, and I have all these lovely shoots that get cut off. And you think, boy, just think if all of these could grow into another tree. Think of all the trees I'd have. But you know what? They don't grow unless they're connected to a root. Nor do we grow. Nor do we have power in our life except we abide in Christ. In Revelations chapter 3, Jesus reminds the Laodicean church that, that he wants them to be all in. He says, um, he says, you're lukewarm. He said, I want you to make up your mind. Either be hot or be cold. Now, he obviously didn't want them to be cold because people that are cold don't make it, do they? But he says, this thing of being halfway in and halfway out is just not acceptable. I don't like it. 
It's not good enough. And you know, we don't want to be halfway in and halfway out with God. It's riding the fence is really no fun. There's nothing soft about a fence for one thing. It's just plain hard to sit on. Quite uncomfortable. And so it is when people try to be halfway on one side of the fence with God and halfway on the other. They want the one foot in the world and they want the one foot with God. It doesn't work. It's like sitting on the fence. You're going to get sore after a while in lots of different ways. And, but you see, longing for God is, is not always natural. Sometimes, sometimes God feels far away and sometimes God, it, it, it just, it's like, how do you get close to God? And I think David gave us the recipe he says, praise God. Tell him how special he is. Adore God. Be in love with him. Value God. Long to be where he is. Be satisfied with God. Remember, nothing else really matters except for him. Praise God. Sing praises to him. Sing about him. Think about God. Remember what he's done. Meditate on it. Think about it. Rejoice in God. Keep your eyes on God and follow him closely. And if you do these things... And you, and you seek God with your whole heart, the Bible says you will find him. You'll find him. He says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Perhaps even now you're thirsty for God and you don't know it. And you're looking at all the wrong places to satisfy your thirst. I invite you to try Jesus. Come to Jesus and let him, let him make you his child. But once you're his child, don't just ride along and say, well, I got him now, I should be okay. No, that's not how it works. You need to seek, you need to have a heart that longs after God and to drink from his fountain. The other evening, the Bible school students were here from Maranatha, here at, at Mount Hermon. And I had a chance to say a few words to them. And this is what I said. Some people will tell you, well, you'll get home and after a while you'll get over it and then you'll get back to life the way it really is. I said, don't do it. Just don't do it. You're not supposed to do it. When you go and you have spend time with God and, and, and you learn to know God and you learn to know the heart of God, and you feel God's presence in your life, don't go back to normal. You're not supposed to do it. Let it affect the rest of your life. Let the rest of your life wrap around your life with God. Let it be the center of your life, and let all the rest flow in around it. Let's have a song.